Awareness, the final frontier. These are the explorations of Jonathan Robinson and Brian Tom O'Connor. Their continuing mission, to discover fresh new paths to the mystery within. To seek out new joys and new methods of awakening. To boldly go into the heart of expanded consciousness. This is Awareness Explorers. Welcome back, friends of Awareness Explorers. I am Jonathan Robinson. I am here with my co-host, Brian Tom O'Connor. But even more exciting than both of us is we're here with one person who's impacted me a lot and who I greatly respect and can teach us some amazing things. And that is Richard Lang, who is a psychotherapist in England. But he's known for having kind of taken the work of Douglas Harding and the Headless Way and continued that lineage where he offers teachings and workshops and books and friendship and all kinds of inspiration along the Headless Way. I've known Richard for about two years now, first introduced to me through the Finders course, but then I took a five-day workshop with him in Oregon on headlessness. And Headless Way, which we will describe what that is, is one of the methods or approaches to awareness that I use every day, and I have found it to be incredibly helpful. So I'm very excited to have you on the program, Richard, and talking to the source of the Headless Way currently and hearing what you have to say about what this is, how people can use it, and what it can do for people. So welcome to the show, Richard. Well, thank you, Jonathan and Brian. A pleasure to be here. I hope I live up to all your expectations. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they're very high, so it's going to be a high bar, Richard, but we'll see what we can do. But why don't we begin for all our listeners who are not at all familiar with the Headless Way, if you could maybe give us a slight introduction as to how you got into it and a brief introduction as to maybe what it is before we interrogate you further. Well, uh, I came across it when I was a teenager. I'm uh, 65 now, and I was still at school, and I didn't know anything about the Headless Way, but I was interested in consciousness and discovering who I am, and uh, by chance went uh, on a Buddhist conference. So I went on this conference with my twin brother, actually, uh, in England, and uh, there met by chance Douglas Harding, who was about 60 at the time, I suppose. And he shared the headless way. So what that means is he uh, said, you, if you want to see who you are, just look. And notice you can't see your own face now. And uh, what are you looking out of? Are you looking out of two eyes in your own experience or one wide open single eye, edgeless, boundless space? So there's not about thinking, it's not debate, it's not an argument. And um, one of the experiments is to point your finger back at where others see your face, and the listener could do this now. You point back at the place you're looking out of, and you look for yourself, what do you see there? I only see my finger, I don't see my face. And so this is a non-verbal experience. You can't not get it. No one can see their own face. 
but how people react to this uh, varies. So obviously I uh, reacted in a way that valued this experience. I thought, ah, oh, yeah, that's what I'm looking for. And I then uh, went to visit Douglas Harding uh, at his home and we became friends. He had a very, he had an open house for anyone interested in this. He said, look, come along, share this. I'm not a master, I'm a friend. Uh, this is available for everyone. And so I got to know him and very soon I felt drawn to sharing this and spending my life really sharing this. I thought, this is brilliant. This is such a available way in home to who you are. And Douglas, uh, around that time, uh, was developing the experiments, these very simple awareness exercises that get you to look at the place you're looking out of or listen to it. Uh, lots of different experiments. It is just original, effective, fun, creative, uh, exciting to share. Uh, it is relying on your direct experience and not on some scripture or teacher or anything outside yourself. And uh, so I have um, continued to enjoy this. I've met a lot of friends through Douglas. And then since he passed away 12 years ago, continued that we set up a trust, you know, just with the aim of trying to get this around. Uh, because obviously, I believe the world needs it. It's true. You are not what you look like. You're the opposite of what you look like. Awareness of this fact that you are spacious, you contain everything, makes a huge difference in your life. So it's, a, it's a, in my view, just a, a thrilling endeavor to be uh, involved in the business, if you like, of sharing this. And now with you guys, uh, you know, three faces on the screen, I can see, three voices, but one consciousness. Amazing. Many voices in one consciousness, many, many thoughts in one consciousness. This is a wonderful thing to share. And you see, it's non-hierarchical. You can't see your no face more clearly or less clearly than anyone else. And if the, the viewer or listener is, is now conscious of their no face, instead of your face, you see the world, you're seeing what Jonathan and Brian and myself are aware of. But obviously, obviously, you've got your own unique view out. I'm looking out into England. You guys are looking out in America. You've got your own response. That's what's interesting to meet with others. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. And I, I think it's also very much in keeping with the kinds of things we talk about here on Awareness Explorers. I'm curious whether Douglas Harding spoke to you at all about how he came across these exercises and this headless method. Oh, yeah. I have made a, a film that's on YouTube about his life. I've also done a graphic biography with a friend we finished a couple of years ago about his life. Uh, so I thought about a lot. I interviewed him a lot. I've talked to a lot of friends. To put it in a nutshell, he was born at uh, the beginning of the last century. And he was born into a fundamentalist Christian group, which he left at about the age of 21. But he was deeply influenced by that in the sense that they put value on the spiritual, I suppose. But their particular form was too restrictive for him. But when he left at 21, he 
was still interested in all that kind of thing, but he didn't want to take on another fundamentalist belief or any belief. He wanted to look for himself. And he uh, started to do that through philosophy and science. And he recognized beautiful, inspiring thing that what you are depends on the range of the observer. So in other words, at 10 feet, I'm a person, but come right up to me at, at a fraction of that and I'm cells. Or come even closer and I'm molecules, come even closer and I'm just particles, almost nothing. And go away, I'm a city or a planet, then a planet, a star. And he took this seriously, that you, your body has layers and you need every one of these layers to sit here and breathe. You see, I need my atmosphere as much as I need my lungs and the cells that make up my lungs. But Douglas had, in effect, recognized that he was like an onion with layers. And the obvious question is, what is at the center of these layers? And in the 30s, he was working on this. He then went to India. He was an architect. He got a job in India. He went in 1937. The war broke out. But he was thinking a lot about what am I? I'm alive. I'd like to find out what I am before I die. The war broke out, so the pressure was on uh, because you didn't know how long you got. And he was aware that as science comes up to you, you there's less and less to observe. You, know, you look pretty solid at a few feet, but very close, you almost disappear. So he understood that at center, he, he must be nothing or no thing or, or awareness. But it was a theory because he was, how do you verify that? Then one day he saw a picture by the philosopher and uh, physicist Ernst Mach, which was a self-portrait done from the first person point of view. So it's headless. The guy drew his, what he could see of himself, which was his nose, his body, but of course no head. And when Douglas saw this, he said, ah, that's what I am at zero. I can see what I, you know, science tells me what I am at a thousand miles, a million miles, two feet, a fraction of, of, of an inch. But what am I at zero? Science can't get there, can never get to right to what I am. But I'm there and I can look for myself and I'm headless. And I, instead of my head, I've got the world. So that's how he came to it. He didn't come to it through prayer or meditation or that kind of thing. He didn't come to it to get saved, really. I guess that was in it somewhere, or to find peace. He was just wanting to know the truth about himself. And he found it by looking. Mm -hmm. But then, of course, it raises as many questions as it answers, because it's such a different way of seeing yourself. So how do you fit this in uh, with uh, the fact that everybody's telling you you're a person? See, well, that's relativity. What you are depends on the range of the observer. So he, he did a lot of thinking and writing and writing books to put forward how this makes sense uh, in terms of science and in terms of philosophy and religion and psychology. And for example, he put forward the idea that there are basically four stages of personal development. The baby that is headless, all right, pre-language, you, you no idea what you look like, your space with the world, single eye. The child, through language and so on, you're beginning to, as it were, go outside yourself and see yourself through the eyes of others. As a person with a face, a boy or a girl, you are in the mirror, you look in and you begin to learn, that's me. But you haven't got it going very well, so you keep forgetting. 
and you just play and you make things up as you go along. Third stage of the adult, where now I am fully convinced I am what you say I am. And now I overlook my headless true nature, and if I ever notice it, I dismiss it as unreal. That's the third stage. So I am what I look like. I'm Richard. I take responsibility for being Richard, and so on. But we think that that's it. Growing up is about finding out who you are and making the best of it. But in fact, there's a fourth stage, which is seeing who you are, which is reawakening to what you are from your point of view, as well as from the point of view of others. And this does not deny what I am for you. I still understand and act as if I'm Richard. I love that, you know, uh, that's very important and uh, uh, vital for being a part of society. But privately, I'm aware of this wide open space where I'm that's full of everything. And that now changes how I am in the world because I'm aware of this inner abundance, this inner security, this fact that I'm face to no face with you, so I am everybody. This makes a huge difference to your life. So really, with the fourth stage, it's a natural development, seeing who you really are. And uh, anyone who doesn't, you know, I would say, doesn't go on to the fourth stage uh, is missing out. I would definitely agree with that. Uh, you know, one of the things I really love about headlessness is that Douglas came up with all these different specific experiments. And to me, they're like 23 specific techniques in a certain way to experience yourself as pure awareness. And I want our listeners to be aware of that. Um, they can go to headless.org and uh, click on the link that says experiments in, in the navigation bar. And there's 23 very specific ways to experience your headlessness. I love that stuff because some of them literally take no time or they take a second. And I found that I have an affinity for some of these experiments or some of these techniques and not others. And But once you find one of these experiments that works for you, it's really an incredible gift because some of them get me into the place of your awareness in like, well, we're always in that place, but it helps me realize that place very, very quickly. And later, we'll have you talk about a couple of those methods. But I'm wondering, did Douglas come up with all those experiments or was that something you did or, or how did they come about? Well, what happened was uh, he first saw that he was headless in 1943 in India. Mm -hmm. And uh, he then uh, continued thinking and writing and produced a book which was published in 1952. And in fact, it wasn't until uh, 1964, that's, that's more than 20 years after he first saw who he was, that he shared it with someone who's actually turned out to be, it was the secretary at his architectural practice. So he was on his own for 20 years with this. So I, I don't know if you can imagine that, but being aware of something so obvious and so valuable that he had looked at from every angle and no one was, you know, very few people were interested. But in, uh, and some people were interested in the ideas like C.S. Lewis, but the actual experience, no one really seemed to take it on board. Anyway, in 1964, he shared it with sec his secretary, who got it big time. And it was a revelation to him. This was uh, a demonstration of how inspiring it is to share it, 
to have something to meet someone else who's really valuing it, you see. Now, he thought then, oh, well, now I can die. I've shared it with one person after 20 years on my own, you know. But then what happened, I suppose the ball got rolling. The next year, he shared it with two people. I thought, wow, this is getting out of control now. (laughs) (laughs) And then Tree, and he had, as it happens, built a second house as an architect. And this second house became a meeting place for people interested in seeing. His wife was not interested. And so he had a separate house. Uh, That's where I went all the time. And you went, and it was never a charge. It was friends. And you would just make friends. And as Douglas began to share it more, so he began to make up ways of sharing it that were not just talking about it. And uh, it was around about 68, 69, 70, 71 that I think he just really took off on it. And in fact, in 1972, he created a toolkit of all the exercises, uh, put them together for the first time. And uh, this really accelerated the process of sharing. It was not a Douglas thing. It was uh, you, anybody can share it. And uh, here are the tools to do it. Go and do it. You don't need my permission. I, you never need to see me again. But if you want to, come as a friend. Was that what uh, On Having No Head, his bestseller, was about? No, that was much earlier. On Having No Head was 1961. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, uh, I mean, right from the beginning, the experiments are potential there, because it's all experience, you see. Uh, uh, but though that was before the pointing or any of those more familiar exercises. So it really, in the 60s, after sharing it with Helen, in the late 60s, a, a community of friends began to grow. Douglas was a very warm, generous host. He welcomed everyone who was interested in this. And uh, so by the late 60s, flower power, you know, the whole young people interested in this kind of thing, me included. So uh, a lot of young people, my, you know, uh, teenagers and young in the 20s around, you know, all the time, really. So I made a, a lot of friends through that. But it, uh, it was only much, uh, you know, 10 years after that book, really, that the experiments took off. And then, you see, we were around and we'd make them up as well. And then, I mean, I then lived in a house in London with 10 people who were all interested in this. You know, we played with it a lot. And then we had, uh, you know, big gatherings. And so the community began to grow. And Douglas traveled a a lot. I I mean, he was really traveling a lot. And this is pre-internet. So it takes quite a bit of organizing by letter and phone call and stuff. So it's been a long, slow process. It's not a mushroom overnight thing. It is grassroots. But it's very kind of strong in a way because it's not relying on any person. Uh, You are your own authority. It's basically free. You know, we have a lot of the online meetings and they're free for anyone, you know, anyone interested uh, in their true nature through this way, just contact me. Yeah. So, and it's all a bit of an adventure, really. So it's rather exciting. Hmm. Now, Brian, you're, you're somewhat new to this. I'm wondering from your perspective, what questions have arisen? Well, actually, I first came across Douglas Harding quite a few years ago when I became interested in Ramana Maharshi and 
looked up anyone who had met him or studied with him or taught similar things. And uh, of course, Douglas Harding's name came up. And then I, I think I bought the book on having no head and read it. And now I think it's absolutely wonderful way of pointing to the empty, pure awareness, which is also full of everything and really mm. is everything. But at first, I was actually very resistant because I was so literal minded. And he seemed to want us to take this literally. You have no head. And I kept saying, wait a minute. What about I can feel it with my hand? Oh, wait a minute. What if I look in the mirror or, oh, I can see my nose. So I found myself coming up with a lot of objections to the idea that I actually have no head. And over time, those faded away. But I am curious about how you react to people who raise those kinds of questions. First of all, I say, I'm uh, very glad to hear you raising those questions. Let's have it all out in the open. You know, let's not avoid anything here. Uh, and I am not surprised that you would be asking these questions because you've lived your whole life, uh, well, you've grown up to uh, take on the belief that you are what you look like. So it'd be very odd that if you didn't have questions, you know, when, when you see that you don't see your own face, you say, yes, but. So I, this is uh, creative. This is going by your own actual experience. So on present evidence, you see, when you touch your cheek, on present evidence, what color or shape is that sensation? None. Right. Now, when you look at your nose, on present evidence, is it attached to a face that you can see, or is it a big blur appearing out of nowhere uh, and stretching from the ceiling to the floor? It's a big blur appearing out of nowhere. Yeah. Now, you see, this is where it raises a lot of questions, you see. So, I mean, how on earth can I see the world if I don't have eyes? Which is what Douglas went into, you know. Uh, how can I function if I'm no, no thing, you know? Uh, uh, so, uh, there isn't time to answer all these questions now. But, for example, the mirror shows you what you look like, right? You need that. You didn't always know that. You had to learn that. As a baby, you didn't know it. So the mirror is, is, and the, the image on the screen now is showing me what, what I look like, Richard, at this range. And if I had a camera on the moon, it'd be showing me my, my planetary face. Thank you very much, which mm. is rather beautiful. And, see, and uh, a camera on uh, Riga or some other neighboring star would show me that I'm a star. I always knew it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now... Uh, this is, you see, an expansion of who you are. It's not a reduction. It's showing you that you are every level of this beautiful, many-leveled, onion-like structure. So, of course, when I am aware of the sensation of my forehead, I immediately get the image of my forehead. See? But the image is, is floating there in the nothingness, just like the sensation is. Mm. Right? And it's a very useful image. But it doesn't confine me. I have found that a, a lot of your phrases that you say when I listen to you, um, they, they 
hit me a little bit when you say them, and then they kind of develop roots and grow into whole experiences. Uh, some of my favorite phrases that you said are things like, um, it's all hanging in consciousness. <laughs> and for some reason, when you said that, you know, from, from my perspective, you know, there's these arms coming out of nothingness, there's this chest coming out of nothingness, uh, there's legs that I see, and then there's the world. And in a certain way, from my perspective, everything is just hanging in this container of consciousness or awareness, which is what I am. And that phrase has helped. Also the phrase face to no face, when I'm looking at somebody, I, I see their face, but they're looking at me and what they're looking at doesn't look like a face to me because it looks like they're looking into awareness or a void or an emptiness and little phrases like that. I also like how when you, you've said things like, um, you know, if you, if you uh, tighten your toes, you know, that doesn't affect awareness that your toes mm -hmm. are tight. There's, there's tightness out there, but in here, there's relaxation or there's color out there. There's no color where I am. There's form out there. There's no form where I am. And having that contrast between the world and our awareness has often been very useful for me. Well, would now be a good time just to take the listener through an experiment? Uh, sure, sure. Just really uh, celebrate what we're talking about. Absolutely. Okay, all right. So, uh, you all right with that, Brian? Oh, yeah, I think that's great. Okay, all right. So, I'm going to guide you through this uh, little experiment, or whatever you want to call it. I'll just make it up. I kind of think I've done many times, I'm sure. But I'm just going to ask you, the listener, just to, you know, sit comfortably and, and notice uh, the place you're looking out of. So I'm going to get you to do a simple experiment first, which is I want you to direct your attention out and then in. So get your finger and point at an object in front of you. So it's good to actually do this. If you're in a cafe, never mind. <laughs> and notice what you're pointing at is a thing. I'm pointing at a speaker on the desk and it's got color and shape. Now point at part of your body, say your other hand, okay? And notice it's a thing, you know, you move it, it's got color and shape. Now point at your chest, notice that it's the same. And now point at the place you're looking out of where others see your face. You could actually do this and point back at the place you're looking out of. Now, what do you see there? What do you find there? I can't speak for you, but for myself, I find no color, no shape, no movement, no face. And if I point with the other finger out, so two-way pointing, uh, the other finger is pointing back out at all those things. And this gesture, two-way pointing, is colors out there to no color here. Faces out there, no face here. Asymmetry and space for the world. Right. So you, this is a nonverbal experience, so you might describe it differently. Great. I'm convinced you've got the experience. And if you take your hands and just hold them in front of your face, right, and then just move them back either side of your head, notice from your point of view they get bigger and disappear. 
I say, they've gone into your no head, your, this wide open space. So then bring them forward and they come out this nothingness. So it's a very physical thing, well worth doing. So this space that your hands go into and come out of, I call the single eye. It's single, all right? There's not two little holes you're looking at. So we start visually, but I'm going to take you through this experiment, which leads into non-visual. Because often the thing is, well, I, you know, what happens if you close your eyes? Or what happens to thoughts and feelings? So we'll go into that. So I would like you to notice something. It's very exciting. It's rediscovering the world. So uh, I would like you to uh, notice that you can compare things for size. So look at two objects in front of you and notice whether one is bigger or smaller than the other, or maybe the same size. Then compare one of those with something else. And it now might be bigger, whereas before it was smaller. In other words, size is relative. Okay. Now look at the whole view, what I call the single eye, which is this boundless openness full of whatever you're looking at, colors and shapes. Now, on present evidence, how big is the view? How big are you? How big is your experience visually? Well, you see, I can't compare it. There isn't a second one on the right or the left. It's single. That's why it's single eye. So I can't say how big it is. All right. So um, just stay with this and look at one of those objects again and notice it's got a boundary. It's very, very simple observation. And notice there's something all the way around that thing. It's in an environment. Anything you look at has got things around it. It's inside a bigger picture. Now look at the view, the whole view, you see the light. And I can see, you know, my view of the computer, then the house out the window and the but everything is within this field. Now, is that field inside something bigger? Well, I all the way around the edge, I can't see anything beyond. This is what you were saying, Jonathan, it's hanging in nothing. This is language, but it fits my experience. So, I can't say how big it is, because it's single, it's incomparable, it cannot be, there's nothing to compare it with. And it's not inside anything. It's, it's just hanging in nowhere. All right. So, amazing to me, single. So, now I want you to close your eyes and you'll see what I call kind of darkness, I suppose, with specks of light. Now, how big is that darkness? Well, I don't find a second one to compare it with for size. It's single. I, I might talk to you and you tell me you can see one too, but that's secondhand hearsay. Great, but it's not my direct experience. My direct experience is as one. Now, is that darkness inside something bigger? I don't find it is inside anything. Now, you're in language, I would say you're looking out at the darkness from this nothingness. Open your eyes. And now the darkness is replaced by colors and shapes, kind of magic. But the nothingness you're looking at is, is unchanged. So the view out changes, but the view in, where you're looking from, doesn't. Close your eyes, view out has changed, but you're still this boundless awareness, space, silence, stillness. All right. So we're moving fairly quickly through this because we've got limited time. But now be aware of sounds. And you can hear my voice. Probably hear other sounds. 
and I'm going to call this the field of sound. So lots of different sounds going on in this and they're coming and going and changing and you know you can't quite be sure of what's going to come next. Now some are loud and some are soft and some you like, some you don't like. But how big is the whole field of sound? Well I say there isn't a second one to compare it with. It's single. Now is this, all this, these sounds, this what I'm calling the field of sound, is it inside anything? Well I say I, I find it in nothing or we could say in the space or in silence or in awareness. Now you see open your eyes and the colors and shapes have reappeared in the nothingness and the sounds are happening in this one consciousness. See, you get one field of sound, not inside anything. So now close your eyes and now be aware of your body sensations and uh, attend to what you call your right foot, you see. Now you might have an image of your foot there, very good, but you've learned that, you didn't have that as a baby. On present evidence, what shape or color is that sensation? Hmm, I, I can't say. I mean, uh, how far away is it, you see? Well, from where? Be aware of other sensations going on. In, in fact, all the sensations that are coming and going in your awareness, you see. Now, some are strong and some are weak. You know, they, they, they're different and they're changing. And some you like and some you don't. But how big? is a whole field of sensation. Now you might have an image of your body, very useful. It's a memory, I suggest. On present evidence, how big is that field of sensation that I can, I find it has no color, no clear shape. Well, I say there's only one field, so I can't compare it with anything. And is it inside anything? Not from memory, but on present evidence. Well, like that phrase Jonathan used, it's, it's hanging in nothing. Now we identify with our body sensations very easily. So if you can say, I cannot say how big this field of sensation is, and it's not inside anything, I think, certainly I could say, well, I, don't, I can't say how big I am. I'm not inside anything. I'm, I'm free, uncontained, appearing and disappearing spontaneously all the time. And now if you open your eyes, nothing changes essentially. There's still one field of sensation. It's not inside anything. Just as there's only one field of view not inside anything, and one field of sound, all going on together, really. So I can say now with eyes open, I'm not inside anything. Does it mean I'm denying my, my sensations? No, I'm welcoming them. Now close your eyes again, and be aware of your thoughts and feelings. And you think of a number, you see, or think of a face of a friend, these are mental objects, we could say, or 
remember what you had for breakfast or um, think of a problem you've got, you see, and the anxiety it produces. Or think of um, something that you've succeeded in, see, and the joy that brings, or you know, lots of different thoughts, feelings, changing, see. Now, how big is this whole field of mind? Very complicated, not in your control a lot of it. Some unwelcome feelings, some welcome. But how big is that whole field? Well, I don't find a second one to compare it with. Now, others tell me that they are also experiencing this field of thinking and feeling. But for me, that's secondhand. I accept it, but it's secondhand. First-hand experience is one field. Now, is it inside anything? All the, are these thoughts and feelings inside a you know, brain, a head? No. Inside what uh, the Zen Buddhists call no mind, you see. And these thoughts magically appearing out of nowhere, out of the no mind, and going back. All right. Uh, think of the name of a city. Now I ask, how did you do that? Where did that come from? Didn't it just appear out of nowhere magically? Disappeared again without you making any effort. Think of, uh, I don't know, the... A blue triangle. Magic. Now, the view out, to use language, is of these thoughts and feelings. And the view in, or the place you're being aware of, you know, from, is uh, the nothingness. The thoughts are arising and disappearing in this no mind. Now, if you, uh, for example, just tighten your right fist, your hand, into a fist, and it, it gets tense. Does that affect the space that you are, this awareness? No. See, it's stress-free. Now relax. Now think of something, a problem you've got. And it might be something in the past you've had that really gave you anxiety. Now, does that anxiety actually affect, traumatize the space where you are? No. It doesn't, in my experience. So you're now uh, becoming aware that this space is stress-free, problem-free, trauma-free, but so creative, coming up with all these things all the time, magic. Now you open your eyes and you've still got thoughts and feelings. Do, do the presence of thoughts and feelings stop you seeing who you really are, the space in which it's all happening? Not in my experience. No. So how available this is, how practical it is, how it makes sense, how it is available from any of the senses, so to speak. I can hear the silence now that this voice is happening in. I can be aware of the space in which the sensations are coming and going in. I can be aware of the no-mind in which these thoughts are arising, see? 
Now, aware of this, is a new way of living, isn't it? I think so. You know, you've got the your inner awareness, inner resource is just on the front burner. See how it works out in your life. Yeah. So I have no doubt that all of us here, including the listener, have access anytime you want to this space. And of course, the thing to do is to get into the habit of being aware of it. And hanging out with others who are enjoying this is a good thing, I would say, because it's infectious. And it's a pleasure to share it, you know. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, any way that gets you home is a good way, I would say. <laughs> that was a great whirlwind tour of a lot of <laughs> yeah. experiments. Yeah. You know, we call it the McDonald's of the spiritual past because it's uh, fast, cheap, and takeaway. <laughs> <laughs> but more nutritious. Well, yes, yes. Yes. Conditions apply. <laughs> But the other thing to mention, since we've got brief time, is what you mentioned, uh, Jonathan, this face to no face. And this is just hugely valuable and pleasurable and, and uh, therapeutic. If you are aware, you know, you're with someone and you're practicing the headless way, you're noticing that you have their face instead of your own. You trade faces. They've got yours, you've got theirs. You are them. Now, this is, this is so different from the head-to-head -head model. Both are valuable, but now it is a pleasure. You look at people, you know, you, you're taking them in, you are them. You know, this uh, changes as it, as it seeps in, that is going to affect how you treat others. Because although they are other, they are also myself. Yeah. You know, the headless way is, I like your analogy of the onion because there's so many layers to it. And for myself, sometimes I would get one layer or one experiment or one phrase and the other ones would like, what, what the hell does that refer to? And then later, as I got deeper into it, it's like, that's so friggin' obvious. How does, how did I miss that? You know? Yeah. So, um, it does have layers. It's, it's, it's not one technique. It's maybe one philosophy that, uh, has all these different experiments, all these different phrases, realizations, and I encourage our listeners to to go to headless.org and and go into the experiments. Which that website is really fantastic. You really did a great job of of delineating many of the layers, and I also find that there's a momentum in that once you get one of the aspects of headlessness, it kind of helps to get some of the other ones. And, and soon you're, you're like, wow, that's so obvious. How did I not see that before? Is that your experience, Brian? Yes, it is. There are certain elements that just pop into, uh, that just pop up. For instance, um, realizing first that I am nothing and then realizing that everything appears in that nothing Mm. And then realizing there's no dividing line <laughs> between that nothing and everything. So therefore, I'm everything yeah. and nothing at the same time. Yeah. You just uh, summarize all of non-dual teachings in, in one sentence there. <laughs> cool. Yes, yes. Beautifully put, you see. And when 
you say it. You say it with your tone of voice, with your the way you've come to it, the way that uh, kind of uh, uh, appeared for you. And that is inspiring because everyone has their own voice. So everyone expresses this mystery differently. And that's why it's, it's such a pleasure. You know, that's inspiring for me to hear you. I relive that, you know, through your kind of eyes, if you like. Yeah. The other thing to just add here is that it's often useful to think of uh, the, the two sides of the experience, which, of course, as you say, there's no dividing line, but the experience and the meaning. The experience is simple, accessible. You can't see your head. It's nonverbal. Uh, in a way, it doesn't mean anything. You know, you, uh, so you can't get it wrong. You can't get it wrong. <laughs> but the meaning unfolds day by day. Uh, and that's what uh, Jonathan, you were talking about, and what you've just expressed there. One day you realize it's nothing, the next everything, and then the next no dividing line. There's a, a meaning unfolding. Now, what often confuses people is that they see their no head, but it doesn't mean much to them, or it doesn't mean the same to them as it is doing to someone else. So someone else is going, oh God, I see I'm nothing, but you know, now I realize I'm everything and there's no dividing line. Oh my God, wow, you see? And the other person is going, well, I can't see my head, but I don't get that, you see? So obviously I haven't got it. No, you've got it, but you're responding in your own way. Stay with the plain experience, the truth, and the meaning that you need will come to you, I am convinced. And it will be different from anyone else. So uh, this is why often it's good to meet in groups, you see, here or in an online meeting or in a workshop. Because you see that other people react in different ways and there isn't a right way. Yeah. There isn't a right way, but it's a little bit contagious. Meaning <laughs> if you hear other people's uh, views, you go... Yeah, now I'm starting to get that. Like, thank you. You know, I like, know. yeah. And it happens to me all the time. You know, I've been in, I've been around headlessness for, uh, you know, uh, since 1970. So that's nearly 50 years. And you know, that's inspiring. What Brian just said is it, or what you say, and it's like oh, I haven't heard that before. Quite like that. You know, yeah. it, it it's never endingly revealing new meaning and. I'm convinced it's never ending. Uh, you know, it is astonishing. It's just coming up with revelation after revelation. But you'll find that, I find that, you know, the revelation comes up, you enjoy it, and then it goes stale. And uh, we try and hold on to it. Think we've lost something. No. This is the natural life cycle of a revelation. <laughs> There's nothing gone wrong. And it's just, uh, you know, like Steve Jobs said, you know, you, you, the old wood's got to go before the new can come. So uh, w when that revelation is going a bit stale, you, you know, see that the nothingness is still there and it's just going to, you know, making room for something else. Yeah. Lovely. Any further questions you want to ask, Brian? Oh, I think that's uh, really wonderful, and uh, I'm very happy that uh, you took us through that and that our listeners can try it for themselves, and that you talked about how it's different for each person. Mm. And I think that's very important, and that, yes, we, we, 
you do get it if you can see that what's looking out is nothingness, is empty, then you're seeing it. Yes. And everyone can see it. Yes. I mean, you can't see your head where you are. So, you know, you got it. <laughs> People say, you know, I don't think I've got it. I say, can you see your head? No. Do you see the world instead? Yes. You got it. <laughs> what they mean is I don't feel like I did yesterday or like that other person or like Ramana Maharshi. <laughs> Those things come and go, but, you know, I find that with any technique or any approach that you stay with, that grace rewards us and that good things happen. And um, for me, I'm just very grateful that you're putting this information out and, and doing it in a way that's very uh, non-hierarchical and humorous and fun and allows people to use their curiosity uh, it's just a really great service. Um, if people want to get in touch with you or find out more, you suggested they go to headless.org? Yes. Uh, yeah, my email's there. Uh, very welcome. Any contact, uh, please. Uh, I, I go around making friends, not students. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, that's apparent here, isn't it? We're, we're all speaking out of the nothingness. There's no, yeah. I mean, there's no doubt about that. This is normal. This is not some weird kind of thing that a few people get. This is natural development. And we're on a cutting edge here, and it's very exciting. We haven't been here before as a species. It's, it's very exciting. But, yeah, I welcome any contact. Yeah. That's great, and it is very exciting, and that's what Awareness Explorers is all about. Well, you're doing a great job, and great to hang out with you in the vast emptiness, <laughs> which is infinitely full with no dividing line. <laughs> <laughs> and to all our friends out there, to Richard, to Brian, to all the people listening, tell your friends and family about this because that's where happiness lies. And as always, keep exploring. Keep exploring. Keep exploring. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Thank you for listening to Awareness Explorers. To learn more, you can check out our website at awarenessexplorers.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. And we'd love it if you would post a review. And please share our link on Facebook and with family and friends. Because knowing yourself as awareness is the greatest gift you can give yourself or someone you love.